Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. The prophet Joel is where we will begin. The word says, After this I will pour out my spirit on all humanity, then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams, and your young men will see visions. I will even pour out my spirit on the male and female slaves in those days. I will display wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awe-inspiring day of Yahweh comes. Then everyone who calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved, for there will be an escape for those on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, as Yahweh promised. Among the survivors, Yahweh calls. And Yahweh bless His word to our hearts today. In the last lesson that I taught, I began uncovering the theory presented by two men primarily, Mark Biltz and John Hagee, concerning the so-called blood moon tetrad, or better put, the lunar eclipse tetrad. And by way of review, I'd like to briefly mention some of the points that we covered in that last lesson. I believe I have five review points. Point number one, we covered what that teaching claims or presents. That the four lunar eclipses on Passover and Tabernacles in the concurrent years of 2014 and 2015, they say they could mean anything from a sign for the land of Israel that something big is about to happen or that Yeshua is about to come back to the earth physically. I've heard all of those presented. We covered that. Number two, we also dealt with the need to be Bereans, meaning that we are not just to know about the Bereans in Acts 17, but we are actually to practice what they practiced. Our heart should be ablaze when we read and study the Scriptures or when we hear the Scriptures taught and explained to us. Instead, it is sad to say that many people in the world today get excitement from extra-biblical teachings or the latest prophetic, quote-unquote, prognostication. Point number three, I shared with you some videos explaining what a lunar eclipse is and what a lunar eclipse tetrad is. We saw that lunar eclipses are common, happening about twice a year. Tetrads are fairly common as well. And even tetrads that occur on Passover and Tabernacles two years in a row, although not as common, have still happened eight times, that's a total of 32, eight times four, 32, in the last 2,000 years, as even Mark Biltz admits. Number four, I talk about how the Bible does not have anything to say about a lunar eclipse tetrad, zero, goose egg, nothing at all. And point number five, I shared that there were only three texts in the entire Bible that spoke of the moon turning to blood in some sense. However, in each of those texts, the surrounding context also mentions the sun becomes dark and the stars cease to shine. Sun, moon, and stars are a package deal in these prophetic texts. So if we are to interpret these texts as literal astronomical catastrophes, if that's how we choose to interpret those texts, literally, then we must look for an event in which the sun, moon, and stars all stop shining in the heavens an abnormal, uncommon, supernatural event. Now let me add here that if such an event is to happen in the future, it will not be an event that can be predicted because it is abnormal, uncommon, and supernatural. 
it won't be an event that NASA can tell you is going to happen in a certain year on a certain day. Amen. It will be an event that happens without anyone knowing it will happen right. in advance. Now, I talked about other things as well, but this is just a brief review, and anybody can listen to the first lesson online free of charge. There's no fees, there's no sales gimmicks, and there's certainly no shipping and handling, that's for sure. You can download the lesson right off of the website, ministersnewcovenant.org, and I'll be placing my entire sermon notes on the website for anybody to read, and all that will be free of charge. Freely we have received, freely we give. Before we get into the Scriptures to examine what the Bible means when it speaks of the sun, moon, and stars going dark or the moon turning to blood, I would like to point out one more glitch in the teaching presented by Mark Biltz and John Hagee and others. Uh, let's listen to and watch Mark Biltz explain this part of his research, and I will show you why this part of his research is faulty. And so I go back and I look, uh, and then I see when else they've happened in history, and it just blew me away. Well, the thing that is so amazing to me, tell me about the last uh, set of tetrods that's four of these blood moons yeah. in a row. Uh, one was just happened to be in 1948. Another one just happened to be in 1967. Uh, what significant things happened in 1948 <laughs> and 19... I, I think all of you know. I, do, do many of you know what, what happened in 48 and 67? But just in case. Well, sure. Uh, well, the thing that amazed me concerning the math is, you know, according to NASA, over 5,000 years, you only average one total lunar eclipse every year and a half. And here we have four within a year and a half, and they're falling on the feast days. Hmm. And the last time it happened was when Israel recaptured Jerusalem in 1960. In 1968. And when I saw that, it was like, oh, good grief, this is, this is supernatural. And so I go running back and I look at the next date, and it was right after Israel became a nation in 1948. It happened in 1949 and 50. And so now my mind's reeling, so I have to go back and I got to do some more research. And I'm going back and I find out it happened during the Inquisition, 1492. When Columbus sails the ocean blue? Now, why was that? Now, that was pretty bad for us Jewish people because we Jews were, were literally left. Uh, if we didn't leave, we'd be murdered. So it wasn't too good for us Jewish people, but it had an effect on the world. What was well, that? Well, sure it did because they expelled all the Jews on the 9th of Av and also in Portugal in 1493, 1494. What happens... King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella are taking all the Jewish wealth, but that is what helped finance the finding of the New World and all the Jews coming over to America. So in your opinion, if the Jews hadn't been expelled and Christopher Columbus, who is Jewish, and you, you told me also there were a number of his crew that were Jewish. Why? Because they had to leave Spain. They might not have founded America. That's right. That's right. Now, Mark Biltz is quick to point out that when you research the past lunar eclipse tetrads, you find that significant events happen to what he calls the Jewish people or to the land of Israel. I'm not equating those two things, by the way. I'm not equating the Jewish people and the land of Israel. I'm only using the terms that Biltz uses. But there's a problem here, and the problem is this. And this is why you always, never take somebody's word for anything. You always go back and check. Always. It doesn't matter how nice they sound, how confident they sound. You always go back and check. 
when you actually do the research, and we have the technology to do that research, we find that in two of the three cases that are usually mentioned, he mentioned three here, well, in two of those cases, the significant event that he talks about happened before the tetrad ever even started. In other words, before you had the four lunar eclipses on Passover and Tabernacles, the event already happened over here. You would think that if it was going to be a sign of something to come, that the tetrad would take place first and then the event would happen second. In the other case, the event happened after the first lunar eclipse in the tetrad and the event was then followed by the final three lunar eclipses within that tetrad. To illustrate or to explain this glitch or problem more fully, I want to show another clip from Chris White's video that I showed in part a couple of weeks ago where he debunks this blood moon tetrad theory and shows that Biltz's research is inadequate. Let's watch. So this theory in no way fulfills the biblical sun, moon, and star sign, but perhaps it's just a means of God to warn Israel of coming events. In other words, perhaps because, according to Biltz and Hagee, the last time these tetrads occurred near Jewish holidays, significant things happened to Israel, perhaps significant things will happen again in 2014-2015. So we are setting aside the idea that this has biblical significance and looking only to see if we should expect this tetrad to be a warning to Israel of some kind, even though it's not about prophecy. The first point, when reviewing the historical accuracy of Biltz's claim that Jewish history seems to converge with lunar eclipse tetrads that fall on Jewish feast days, we find that it's not very accurate at all. So the first thing that we need to do is examine Hagee and Biltz's assertion that these tetrads actually lined up with significant events at all. So often we simply take for granted that this is true, and as we will see, that would be a huge mistake. Did you know that there were actually two other tetrad events that fell on Jewish holidays that Biltz found in the NASA computers? Well, he did, but he doesn't like to say much about those because, even according to him, nothing significant happened on those two occasions. Right there, that should give us pause. Okay, so how do we know that this upcoming tetrad in 2014-2015 won't be another dud like the other two that they don't like to mention? Based on these numbers, so far almost half, almost 50% of these tetrads on Jewish holidays don't mean a thing, even by their own admission. Another point is that the dates of the historical events for which these tetrads supposedly correlate do not seem to correlate very well at all to the dates of the tetrads themselves. For example, the Spanish Inquisition actually started some 15 years before the 1493-94 tetrad and ended roughly 350 years later. They try to give this some credibility by saying that what the Tetrad is really connected with is the so-called Alhambra Decree issued on the 31st of March, 1492, which officially expelled the Jews from Spain. But even then, the first eclipse didn't occur until over a year later, and the last eclipse over two years later. So unless you call being off by a year God's way of predicting something, then this isn't a match. The next so-called match is supposed to be when Israel declared its independence in 1948 and won the war for independence the same year. The dates of the 1949-1950 Tetrad, again, didn't occur until over a year later and didn't fall on any of the dates of Israel's victories or on the day that the UN recognized them as a state or any other significant date. Trust me, if there was any significance to the actual dates of these Tetrads, you would have heard about it. But the best they can do is, as we will see in the next one, coming within 10 months of an event. So yeah, the last one they say occurred in conjunction with the Six-Day War. But in reality, it didn't start until 10 months after the war ended. 
and the last eclipse didn't occur until a full year after that. Again, these three obvious non-matches look even worse when you consider that they have already thrown two sets of historical tetrads in the trash because they couldn't find any historical events to match them with. So these three represent the best of the best, and that is pretty sad. So within two years is close enough for them. And nowadays, apparently, close counts not just with horseshoes and hand grenades, but also blood moon theories. So I would encourage you not just to not take Mark Biltz's claims at face value and research him, but you also need to research what this guy just said, too. Now, I've done that, but you need to do that. You don't need to just take Brother Matthew's word. So I would encourage everyone to do some research yourself, and I think that what you'll see is that this false teaching has basically stretched to the max any little straw that they could find. And when they couldn't find a straw... They just ignored that tetrad and moved on to the next one that they can stretch long enough to make it fit into their teaching somehow, somehow. This is why John Hagee only said something big is about to happen, which, by the way, is not a prophecy. When you say something big is going to happen, then after the tetrad is over, you just look frantically in the news and you try to find something big and then you make your match. Let me show you what he said here one more time. The coming four blood moons points to a world-shaking event that will happen between April 2014 and October 2015. That verse describes a time in the future when the sun and the moon will eclipse at the same time. And God sends planet Earth a signal that something big is about to happen. That something big is about to happen. That something big is about to happen. Now the reason that he wasn't more specific is because by just saying generically something big, he left wiggle room for himself to find something big happening in the world at the time of the lunar eclipse tetrad in 2014 and 2015. Now I don't have this next point in my notes, but did you notice that he said something's going to happen between April of 2014 to October of 2015, something like that. Well, then why in these past two tetrads did the big event happen before the tetrad ever took place? See, it's not consistent. It's a false teaching. And when you study to show yourself approved, you find that out. And you know what? John Hagee, as a matter of fact, I think Brother Randy was telling me that he's already found something. He looked for something that was happening in the world, and you're going to find something because something's going to be happening in the world at any given time if you cross the globe. And he's found something, and then he claims, well, this is the big thing. Um, that's not a prophecy. Remember, I gave the example of the prophet Elijah in my last sermon where he said it's not going to rain for this amount of time. And that's, you know what happened? It didn't rain for that amount of time. Just like that. What the prophet said is true. And a true prophet of Yahweh, I'm talking about one that Yahweh sends and is a prophet, will never, ever be wrong never be wrong. He'll always be right. Why? Because Yahweh is speaking through him. So we should choose instead to study your Bible. Blindly following a man is not honoring Yahweh. Studying your Bible and listening to true biblical teaching is honoring Yahweh. So, enough of that. Let's get into the Bible. At this point, what I'd like to do is be a Berean by delving into these biblical sun, moon, and stars texts to see if we can determine what a text like Joel 2, 28-32 is talking about. And I'll be teaching on this today. 
And I'll continue this teaching in our new moon service as well, falling on Wednesday at 6 o'clock. I'll go ahead and tell you right now, before we get into the Holy Scriptures, that I do not believe, I do not believe that Joel 2, or its quotation by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, is speaking of a literal astronomical event. I don't believe that. I believe that it is symbolic, metaphorical language that stands for something else. And I intend to prove that in these lessons from the Bible. I believe the biggest reason that people have misinterpreted texts like Prophet Joel in chapter 2 is because of their not being familiar with the entirety of the Old Testament portion of the Bible. In other words, if people actually studied the whole Old Testament and they knew all of what the Old Testament speaks in the sun, moon, and stars texts, they would not, or at least would not be as apt to misinterpret Joel 2, 28-32, or Acts 2, 16-21, where Peter quotes the prophet Joel. What has instead happened is that someone has went into Joel 2, they have grabbed the moon turning to blood out of verse 31, ripped it out of its context, and then made a book about it and then sold a lot of copies of the book and DVDs and made a lot of money and nothing happened. And it's just, it's not right. And because I love people, I want to try to explain some things in these lessons that will help us and anyone else who may hear these lessons not be duped by this kind of thing in the future. These lessons are way more than just about blood moons, brothers and sisters. These lessons are about studying the Bible and learning to interpret the Bible by the Bible instead of what we want, think, or imagine. So, let's begin at the beginning in the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. I'll be using the King James Version a lot in this lesson because it's a more literal translation than the HCSB. And I'll be covering some key Hebrew words and their literal translations into English. Genesis 1, 14 through 18. And the Mighty One said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And the Mighty One made two great lights. The greater light to rule, I want you to think about the word rule. The greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. The Mighty One set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And the Mighty One saw that it was good. Now, I've taught on this text a few times before and I've shown that this is a foundational text for understanding the biblical calendar. The two great lights in this passage are the sun and the moon and then you'll notice that the stars are mentioned as well at the end of verse 16. Now, in this lesson, I would like to point out the word rule. The word R-U-L-E. The greater light has rule over the day, and the lesser light has rule over the night. The Hebrew word here is memshalah, and it's defined by Strong's as to rule a realm or a ruler. Jacinius' Hebrew Chaldee lexicon defines the word as dominion, rule, jurisdiction, princes, or chief rulers. Now, if you read the HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, you'll notice that in Genesis 1.16 it says, 
the greater light to have dominion over the day and the lesser light to have dominion over the night. The New American Standard Bible says the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. I want you to notice how the Hebrew word mimshalah is translated in the King James Version of Isaiah 22, verses 20 through 21. Listen carefully. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government, mimshalah, power, rule, authority, dominion, government, into his hand, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Now, in my studies, I found that Mimshalah is translated in the KJV as dominion 11 times, rule 4 times, government 1 time, and power 1 time. So you get the picture. It is a word that speaks of ruling, reigning, and high ranking. The sun, the S-U-N sun, is like a high ranking official over the daytime, and the moon over the night with the stars. Psalm 136, verse 9 is a complementary text to Genesis 1. And it says that the moon and the stars rule Mimshalah, the night. Now, when we read this or when we know this right offhand, we might automatically think that the sun, moon, and stars could, in some scriptures, stand for or represent high-ranking people, rulers, authorities, and governments. But we don't just have to assume that. That we can prove in the Bible. Our next text is still in Genesis. Genesis 37, verses 9 through 10. We read, And he, Joseph, speaking of Joseph, dreamed yet another dream, and told it to his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father, Who's Joseph's father? Jacob Israel. He told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Now a couple of things in this text. First, note that Joseph's father, Jacob, immediately knew the interpretation of Joseph's dream. He realized that the dream had nothing to do with the literal sun, moon, and stars bowing down to Joseph, but rather that they stood for or they represented something else. The sun stood for Jacob, the father, the greater light. The moon stood for Rachel, the mother, the lesser light. And the stars stood for the eleven brothers. Notice there were eleven stars and Joseph had eleven brothers. The stars also, Genesis 1.16. Joseph would be the twelfth star, representing the twelve sons or tribes of Israel in all. Now secondly, I want you to realize an important point here, that the sun, moon, and stars, this is very important, the sun, moon, and stars, according to Genesis 37, can represent the family of Israel in Scripture. Now the Israelites were Yahweh's chosen people, beginning with Jacob Israel then, Israel was Yahweh's chosen people at the time that the prophet Joel gave forth his prophecy in Joel 2. Israel was Yahweh's chosen people in the first century A.D. at the time of Yeshua when Apostle Peter quoted the prophet Joel. 
and Israel is still Yahweh's chosen people today. Now, we will see that Israel's dominion or rule is represented in Scripture by the sun, the moon, and the stars language. And this will help us understand correctly what Joel's prophecy actually means instead of us having to hypothesize about what it might mean. We can know by the Bible exactly what it means if we just allow the Bible to interpret the Bible. Genesis 37, 9-10. Now it's quite interesting to see how the greatest man to ever live in the nation of Israel describes himself. Very interesting. I hope you guys know who that is. Look at Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Yeshua, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. He calls himself the bright and morning star. See, Yeshua uses this symbolic heavenly light language to depict himself as the brightest of the stars among the sons of Israel. He's the brightest star among all of his brothers in his nation. Now, I won't turn to these, but you can jot them down if you take notes. Genesis 22:17 and Genesis 26, verse 4. We find in those passages that both Abraham and Isaac are told that their offspring will be as numerous as not just the sands of the sea, but also as the stars of the sky. So here we have two further references in Genesis linking the Israelites with this star language or this heavenly light language. Also jot down Exodus 32 verse 13 and Deuteronomy 1 verse 10. Basically they repeat what we read in Genesis. Now there's a parallel to Genesis 37, the family of Israel, the sun, moon, and stars making obeisance to Joseph. There's a parallel to that in the book of Revelation. It's in Revelation 12 verse 1 where we read, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Now, this is similar language to Genesis 37, as you can see. Now, is this in Revelation a literal woman who is wearing the sun like a dress? Well, is there a woman big enough and powerful enough to be draped in the sun as her dress? Well, of course you see my point. This is symbolic. This is figurative language. She's not literally standing on the moon either. And she certainly doesn't have a 12-starred crown on her head with actual 12 stars. One star would burn a woman's head slap off from the heat. So obviously this is not a literal depiction here. This is symbolic. The woman, I believe, that the woman depicts Israel as a whole, as a nation. Some have limited the woman to only Eve. Some have limited the woman to only Miriam, the mother of Yeshua. I think it's better to see the symbolism as Israel as a whole. Israel is typified many times in the Bible as Yahweh's wife in Scripture, and I think that's what it stands for. That's another message for another time. But just don't miss the sun, moon, and stars language, 12 stars, mind you, standing for the 12 sons of Jacob, Israel. Remember Genesis 37. One text that does this same thing later on is the book of Daniel. I know this because I taught for a while through the book of Daniel. And we'll see this in Daniel 12, verses 2 through 3. Notice the following. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine 
as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Now, the prophet Daniel is depicting the wise and the righteous in the nation of Israel as bright, shining stars in the heavens. They're like the stars. It's not that they're literally stars, but it's figurative language describing how they shine bright for Yahweh in righteousness and in strength. And the same is to be understood in Daniel 8, verses 9 through 10, although it's not as easily understood. Notice the passage, Daniel 8, verses 9 through 10. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground, and it stamped on them. Now this is a vision that Daniel the prophet had. And I dealt with this text in detail when I taught through Daniel chapter 8 years ago. I won't be detailed here, but I just want to point out that the little horn in Daniel 8 verse 9, through my studies, I found the little horn to be here in this chapter, the Grecian ruler named Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes, who lived in the 2nd century B.C. And the pleasant land in verse 9 is the land of Israel. Antiochus grew powerful even to the host of heaven. That doesn't mean Antiochus flew up to the sky. It means he grew powerful even up to the host, meaning over the children of Israel. And when it says that he cast down some of the stars to the ground, it does not mean he flew up to heaven, grabbed some stars, and chunked them to the earth. It means he persecuted and killed some of the children of Israel. They're the stars. He persecuted them and threw them down and stamped on them on the ground. And we see Antiochus came in and what he did in the B.C. era before the time of Yeshua in the book of Maccabees is actually called an abomination of desolation in the book of Maccabees. You can read about that in the Apocrypha. So the Israelites are here depicted as the host of heaven and the stars. Now you can compare Daniel 8 verse 10, which is the vision that we just read, with Daniel 8 24. Daniel 8.24 is the interpretation of the vision and verse 24 says that this Grecian king will destroy the mighty and holy people, proving that when he cast the stars to the ground, meaning it means that he destroyed the mighty and holy people, the people of the nation of Israel. Again, the holy people Israel are depicted in the vision as the heavenly lights. Why? Because we already learned in Genesis these lights rule govern, have authority, and so therefore we see this symbolic language used of the Israelites throughout Scripture. I've got one more passage to go to in this sermon. And this is a new one to me. This is in the book of Judges. I want to ask a question. Can stars, literal stars, fight in a battle? Well, I'd like to turn now to a text or consider a text that is brand new to my mind. Praise Yahweh. He can still show me things when I read the Scriptures. Like Brother Arnold said, we will never in this life have everything figured out. Never. We'll never exhaust everything. So we continue to study, and Yahweh continues to bless us with more knowledge and understanding as we humbly submit to Him in His Word. This one is great. I found this at the feast one morning out there beside my camper studying my Bible. I come across this passage as a cross-reference to another passage. And because I did not know about it, it made me smile when I found it. And so I'm so thankful. I want to share it with you. It's beautiful. I think you'll see this very easily. 
is found in the book of Judges chapter 5. Now, just to give you a little bit of background, in Judges 4 and 5, Judges chapter 4 is an account of a battle. A battle between the Israelites, specifically from the two tribes, two tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali. Okay? Two tribes of Israel were battling with some of the Canaanites. Judges chapter 4. You can read the whole chapter tonight when you go home. Judges chapter 4 verse 15 says that Yahweh threw Sisera. Sisera was the commander of the forces of Canaan. He threw Sisera and all of his army into confusion with the sword. And then Judges 4 verse 23 says, On that day the Almighty Yahweh subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the Israelites. So praise Yahweh, the Israelites won. And what you'll find is that they won under the leadership of a man named Barak and also a woman who was a judge named Deborah. Okay. Now Judges 5 is the follow-up chapter and it contains a song that was sung by Deborah. Deborah, the whole, almost the whole chapter 5 is a song. Now I want you to notice when Deborah sings this song, remember the warriors of Canaan, the Canaanite army, had fought against the warriors of Israel, the Israelite army, Zebulon and Naphtali. Judges 5, 18 through 20. At the end of Deborah's song, or during, I should say, during Deborah's song, she says this. Zebulun and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. In other words, their lives were in jeopardy when they went into battle. The kings came and fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan in Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They took no gain of money. Verse 20. They fought from heaven. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. Remember, Sisera is the commander of the forces of Canaan. Verse 19 says, kings, rulers, authorities, came and fought. And then it mentions the kings of Canaan. But the next verse speaks of the kings, rulers, authority, mighty men in Israel that fought against Sisera. And it is said here that they fought from heaven The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. Brothers and sisters, this is not saying that the literal stars dropped out of heaven and fought the battle against Canaan. It's calling the Zebulonites and the Naphtaliites stars. It's using the symbolic governing rule power high-ranking star language to depict the Israelites in battle. That's what it means when the stars are said to have fought against the king of Canaan. So again, this is figurative language, as I close, that depicts the Israelites as stars. The idea is that the stars rule along the night with the sun, Jacob Israel, and the moon, the mother of Joseph. Remember, the sun has government rule over the day. The moon has government or rule over the night. So it shouldn't astonish us to find that symbolic language is used throughout the Bible to describe high rulers, authorities, and ranking officials. I'll continue this lesson in our new moon service. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Praise Yahweh. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for another time of Bible study, praise, worship, sharing. 
Father, above all things, might we might we seek Your Word, seek Your Kingdom, love Your Son, love You, and with all our getting, help us to get understanding. Help us not to just have head knowledge, but have understanding um, about the Scriptures that we've read today. Um, Father, let us go back over them. I pray that everybody would take time to study and be a Berean in the Word and that they would uh, test all things, hold fast to only that which is good. Um, Father, we pray for uh, for those that may not know you, um, and we ask for their salvation, Father, um, so that they would not be lost forever but be found. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for a good understanding. Help us never to believe that we've arrived but always to continue to seek, search, and knock until we're glorified and sanctified in our new bodies. I pray these things through your Son, Yeshua. Amen.